Well, we have the Word of God, and there's nothing more encouraging than that. We're going to read some scriptures. We're turning to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 19. So we can set that up, and as you turn there, let me just pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you are with us, and that not only are you with us, but you are for us. That you're a God who is always at work, and that we can know with all assurance that he who begun the good work will see it through to completion. Lord, our, our faith and our trust and our hope, it rests in you. It rests in your power to fulfill that which you promised. And so I pray, Lord, this morning as we just gather in this moment of our time together, as we read from your word, would you come and have your way in our hearts and lives afresh? Thank you that your word goes forth with power. Your power, not the power of man, but you spoke it, and it performs and achieves all that you desire it to do. So may it go deep in our hearts today. Give us listening ears to hear your voice, we pray. Give us eyes that are ever opened to the brightness of your glory. Give us hearts that long to know you, Lord Jesus, we pray, above all other things. Just let your peace settle upon us this morning. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Just had that sense this morning. Who woke up with a bit of frost on their car? Not sure what it got down to, but out where we live, it was freezing. And it felt, feels like it's still warming up, to be honest. But you get those cold winter mornings and the sun pokes through and it just warms everything up. And I've had that sense, whether that's for all of us or one of us this morning, just of the Lord's light, let the light of His glory and His countenance shine upon us. Anybody feel like they need a little bit of de-thawing? They need to defrost a little? Well, Lord, just come and do what you want to do. So we're going to read together a passage of Scripture from 1 John. We've been working our way through this letter. The Apostle John writes, we're up to... A passage that really is, it's a wonderful high point. But it's also a conclusion of that which he has said. So we'll do a little review and then we'll look at where he lands this particular portion of scripture. Verse 19, chapter 3, 1 John. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. By what? Well, we've talked a lot about truth. We've talked about the reality of truth. We've talked about the power of truth. We've talked about the person of truth. And what that reveals not only about God, but about us. He began chapter 3 with the incredible love of the Heavenly Father. That we are children of God. We then looked at the evidence of that truth outworked in us. So where does that leave us now? What else is there that John could possibly add to what he has said? So by this, by all that's gone before, we know that we are of the truth. And here's our key word for this morning. And re assure our heart before him we reassure what does that word mean we reassure there's two things here that are worth mentioning right up front number one there is a place of assurance 
Not only does John speak about this, but you read Hebrews 10 verse 22 says this, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in a full assurance of faith. Colossians 2.2, he writes this, that we would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This full assurance. What is this full assurance? What does it mean to be assured? Well, I'll give you a very simple definition. This is Andrew's definition. To be assured is to be a sure person. We reassure our hearts. How sure is your heart? So there is this place of assurance. And if you like a contrast, James 1. If we're not assured, James puts it this way. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Isn't that a powerful picture? So where is it we live our lives? This is, this is what John is going to get to, and we're going to unpack it and develop it. But this is what Scripture proclaims, that there is a sure place for the believer. There is a place of assurance. It's steadfast. It's fixed. It's not tossed and driven, as is the place of doubt. So let me ask you again, how sure is your heart? How sure is your heart? Which of those pictures? Sure and steadfast, fixed, immovable, grounded, or tossed and driven like the wind upon the waves. And I'm praying that certainly by the end of our time this morning, that all of us will be far more towards the former category than we began. Because that's his heart, that we would be sure people, a sure people. But the second thing to note, just right up front about this word, it says we reassure our hearts. So whose work is this? Is this his or is this ours? Because so much of what we have preached and proclaimed and what John has written about has been his work, his work of truth, his work of revealing truth, his work of the power of truth in us, bringing forth righteousness, his love. We love because he first loved us. There's so many aspects of this that are his sovereign work. And I think somehow, um, at some, sometimes, at some stages in life, we fall in one of two camps. Either we move into that place of works, and we're driven by works, we're consumed by works, it's all about us. But at other times, I think we live in that place of complacency. Let me give you an illustration. I know some of you like winter, and I won't ask for a show of hands, because I'm still interceding for you, <laughs> trying to pray it away. Because there's very little I enjoy about the cold weather. In fact, I don't enjoy the cold weather at all, but I do enjoy some aspects of winter. Like, for example, my warm puffer jacket and sitting in front of a fireplace. <laughs> and at our house, we have a real fireplace. And I know that there is a lot of imitations out there. And I've seen them, and you press a button, and they call it a fireplace, but there's no fire involved whatsoever. Know what I'm talking about? Little plastic logs little methane flame, let me assure you that there is nothing like the ambience, the romance, the power, the manliness of a raw winter flame. 
Thank you. There's an amen. All right. But you see, a real fireplace takes a bit of work. You see, there's no push button. That would be nice. But if you're like me, I go and chop down the tree. And then I split my logs. And then I pack them in the garage. And then I bring them inside. And then I've got to stock the fire. And I've got to restock it. And I've got to stoke it. And I've got to fan it into flame. I've got to keep it burning. And there is nothing like it. That moment where you sit in front of it, nice cup of coffee, Ugg boots on, the roaring fire reflecting upon my manliness and the manliness of the fire. There's truly no other place, but it takes some work and it takes some effort. And I think so often in our Christian life, we've got this mentality that we all want the heat, we all want the ambience, we all want the romance, we all want the power, but we just want it with a push button. And sometimes the Lord is saying, well, I've made the trees and I've caused fire to bring heat, but you know, th there's, got, there's got to be a little bit of applying some of these things in your own heart and your own life. So this is something that we need to grab a hold of. There is a place of assurance, but it is us who needs to reassure our heart before him. How do we do it? I'm glad you asked. Verse 20 says this, For whenever our heart condemns us. Now notice this. It doesn't say if ever. It doesn't say on the odd. It says whenever. This is a reality. This is an inevitability. For whenever our heart condemns us, it will happen. And in fact, let's just look at that word condemns. It literally means to find fault. Other translation says this, whenever our heart reminds us of our failures. Anybody feel like their heart has a good knack, a good habit of reminding you of your failures? Reminding you of your stuff. Some of us have an anointing of fault finding in ourselves you're not good enough you're never going to be good enough you're not smart enough you're going to fail the fears the failures the doubts but see here's the question what do you do in those times what do you do when your heart reminds you of your failures and there's so much in us and in the world and even teaching within the church that says well what we do is we've just got to think positive. We've just got to reassure ourselves of who we are. I would suggest to us that here is the key, and it's very different than perhaps what the world might suggest. It says this, For whenever our heart condemns us, here's the place that we go. God is greater than our heart. That's a moment for amen. There is a God who is greater than my heart that's reminding me of all my fears and all my failures. And just in case you think that he is operating in an incomplete set of information, it says, and he knows everything, not something. He knows it. He's not making a judgment on half the facts. He knows everything and he is greater. And this just gets better. Verse 21, it says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, if we move from this place where our heart is constantly reminding us of our failures, where we're living under that place of condemnation, not of the enemy, but of ourselves, then here's the reality. We have confidence before God. 
we have confidence. I want you to underline that word confidence. See, sometimes in our modern use of the word confidence, we have an issue with being too confident. We don't want to be too confident. In fact, we say, well, that person's a little overconfident. But this is the sort of confidence that you want as much as you can take. This is the strong concordance definition of the word confidence. It means to be free and fearless, to have cheerful courage, and to have bold assurance. Who thinks that sounds all right? I'll have me some of that, please. Confidence. Free and fearless, cheerful courage, and bold assurance. So we have confidence before God, comma. It's still getting better. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. So around about this point, you're probably thinking, well, where's the fine print? Where's the contract? Because there has to be some catch. But just in case you're thinking, well, what is the commandment? What are the 613 pharisaical traditions, the hoops I need to jump through? What is it that God is wanting me to do? Verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, this is not past tense. It's not even just present tense. This is ongoing present tense. What John is saying, one translation says, continually placing our trust in Christ. Saying this is what God is calling you to do. He's calling you to put your trust in Jesus. And to continue to put your trust in Jesus. And whatever comes and whatever happens and through every circumstance and season, to never stop putting your trust in Jesus. That would have been a good point for amen, but we'll move on. His commandment to trust in him. You see, John is giving, this, giving us this wonderful promise. It's a promise he returns to again and again and again. What is on offer here is an assured life. It's a confident life. It's a life of power, provision, and promise. But there is a process. And the process is simply this, reassure your heart. How sure is your heart? So I think, all right, well, how do we do it? Let's go. Two really simple keys to being a people that have sure hearts. How do we reassure our hearts? What, is it, what does that mean? What does it look like? What is John pointing us towards? And number one is simply this. To reassure us, ourselves, that God is greater. Or you could phrase it another way. Assurance is built upon His greatness. That's the foundation. That's where it begins. You see, there is not a week that goes by, if I'm perfectly honest, where there are not some thoughts, or fears, some doubts, some uncertainties. And John is saying that. He's saying whenever that happens, that is going to happen. For me, maybe you are far more spiritual than me and you say, well, that doesn't happen nearly as frequently. Let's pray for the pastor. You can. You're welcome to. But the reality is that it will happen, that it does happen. We're surrounded by doubts. 
We're surrounded by fears. We're surrounded by uncertainties. And it's not that they rise. That's not the issue. The problem is when we let them reign. So where do we go? Where do we go? And I want to address this carefully but very clearly because there's entire segments at times of the church that preach a message that says, well, you've just got to believe more. You've just got to try harder. You've just got to positize everything. Think positively. You've just got to think yourself out of it and over it. And the focus is always us. But John is giving us a different picture. Let me, let me give you this picture in a different way. I love John's writing because he always has this high view of Christ, of who he is. And in fact, if you read some of his other letters, if you read the book of Revelation, which I am especially fond of, you'll notice that over 40 times in every single chapter virtually of that book, he gives this picture of Christ on a throne. And I know that so many people think Revelation, well, it's spooky and it's about all these other things, but Revelation literally means the unveiling of Christ. And what is the unveiling picture? It's, it's Christ seated on a throne in authority and power and majesty and wisdom. And here, John, again, unsurprisingly, is saying, we're heading towards all our, all our life's culmination, all of human history, to a moment before the throne of God. Whereas so often, it seems like we believe we're heading towards not a throne, but a mirror. That when we get to the end, the Lord himself will pull out the divine mirror and we will admire all the things that we have done. And see, here's the problem with the mirror, is that most of us don't find looking in a mirror overly assuring. Is anyone assured when they look in the mirror? Moment of honesty, there is some. There's a few guys in the gym that, that I work out with from time to time. The only time they smile is when they're working out the beach muscles for the weekend, bicep curls. But for most of us, looking in the mirror is not an assuring experience. There's always a few extra pounds to contend with. There's a few more wrinkles to deal with. There's a few less hairs. As it's often said, it's not so much that the hairs disappear it's that they migrate south to all sorts of other places that you don't want hairs let's move along <laughs> and there's always a way isn't it that we can dress things up we can you know the, the power of positivity the power of me will get us to certain places it will but there's only so far working out your beach muscles in front of the mirror Dressing yourselves up will get to. You see, the mirror is always going to be a flawed anchor for your assurance. This is the problem. And what we're after here is an assurance that lasts. An assurance that's going to stand. A sure life that will remain steadfast. So where do we find that? Do we find it here? Do we find it in what we can do? Do we find it in trying harder? Well, John takes us to another place. He says this, whenever your heart condemns us, remember, there is a God who's greater. There is. What do I do when my own heart convicts me and says, you are full of sin? 
can't you see the mistakes that you've made? Well, I could try harder or I could remember instead the Savior who is greater than my sin. What do I do when my heart says, you're worthless, you're never going to make it? Who do you think you are? You can't do that. I could try harder or I could remember a love that is greater than my shame. What do I do when I'm stuck in bondage? When the chains around me are so evident, I've got to get a hold of the power that's greater than my chains. In the seasons that are difficult and a struggle, I need to remember the promise that's bigger than my pain and my struggle and my suffering. You see, this is the source of our assurance. It's the God who is greater. doesn't matter how many times you fall, and it matters that there's a God who is ever ready to pick you up. doesn't matter how great your sin has been, it matters how great the salvation of our God. It doesn't matter how little your faith, it matters the size of the God that your faith is in. This is what it means to reassure our hearts. And you see, I've, I've discovered something. I've discovered that anything that I build on me, it never lasts. But anything that I build on him, it never fails. It never fails. But this is the problem because so often we've got lives, we've got entire ministries that are built not on the throne, not on the king who sits upon the throne, but upon us. We need to reassure our hearts, not of our ability, but of his, that there is a God who is greater. And number two, really quickly. See, there's one further step. It's one thing to acknowledge his greatness. And most of us, at least, I hope at some level would say, yeah, that's true. He is greater. We need to acknowledge his greatness. If we did nothing else, that would be worth the price of admission. But it's one thing to acknowledge his greatness. It's another thing to then give up your right to rule. It's another thing to submit yourself to his judgment. See, it says this here. If your heart is condemning you, he knows everything. So give up your right to know what's right and instead receive his. And there's a place of provision. Anything you ask for, he will provide. But you can't rely upon your provision and his at the same time. He says, and here's the picture, you must obey. That's never a friendly word, is it? Let's move along. We must obey. You see, I think so often we view this as a self-managed salvation fund. We're very happy to come to him, say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your salvation. Thank you for the work of the cross. But if it's okay, I'd like to just take control of a few areas. I'd like to redistribute some income streams. I'd like to redivert some of the investment strategies. I'd like to take ownership. And this is the eternal problem. Ever since mankind was created, there's been a battle. Not a battle for the throne of heaven, but for the throne of the hearts of humanity. 
And Adam preached a great message. If you didn't hear it last week, grab the podcast about humility. But see, humility is its not just the way that we treat others. It's not just related to others. See, pride at its very core and its essential nature assaults God's throne and asserts its independence in an attempt to dis- dislodge God as sovereign king. And humility is unseating ourselves from the throne of our hearts and placing the king where he needs to be. Not just to take a little bit for ourselves. You see, it's actually proud people who try and take matters into their own hands. Humility says, there is a God under which I will live. I give up my right to rule. I submit to his judgment. And I want to be honest to you, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I I really felt the challenge of the Lord in this particular area of my life and happened to be reading through Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, where, of course, it's a passage where Jesus, Jesus says, do not be anxious, do not worry. The Gentiles are always worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, but do not be anxious. And then he threw in this little phrase that caught my attention. He said, oh, ye of little faith. And I thought, how on earth does anxiety relate to faith? What is the correlation there? And what Jesus is saying is, he's not saying don't care about those things. He's not saying you have no right to care about what you wear. and what you, He's saying don't worry about them. Don't be anxious about them. Don't let that consume your life. Because it's an expression of faith to trust in his provision. Anxiety and worry at some level is always saying that I have greater confidence in the problems around me and my ability to work or not work through them than in the mighty hand of God. And that is his his invitation to us. It's all here. But you need to recognize who he is and you need to submit to his judgment and give up your right to rule. See, it's not that we have cares. It's not that we have anxieties. It's not that we have worries. They will come. It's a part of living this side of eternity. There is stuff. It's not that they rise. The problem is that so often we let them rule. And for me, the challenge, this is what the Lord was challenging me about. It's not just faith in the big impossible things. I feel like at times... I've got faith. For something that I can't do myself, I've got faith. To see breakthrough, at times, I have faith. For those impossible situations. And having seen the Lord break through in those areas in my life, there's a history with God to pray and to press in and to see Him do miraculous things. But it's equally as much of an attitude and posture of the heart to exercise faith, to trust God for the things that I can do, not just the things that I can't, to not be self-reliant, but to be dependent upon Him. So we've got this Christian walk back the front at times. In the world, it's all about becoming mature and accredited and self-sufficient. But in the kingdom, it's all about becoming dependent. 
Why is it that we just read here so many times, John gives these incredible promises like anything you ask, he will give you. The anythings. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not quite in the place of the anythings. Has anyone else reached there yet? Everything I ask for, the Lord answers. Why is there a disconnect? I think so often it's because I'm still ruling on the throne of my heart. And it's time to dislodge me and saying, Lord, you are greater. And I'm going to reassure my heart and my life by submitting lordship of all that I am to you. Submitting to your judgment, giving up my right to rule. So how sure is your heart? There is a promise of the assured life, a sure and steadfast place. But there is a process. And John's encouragement to us today is reassure your heart. Reassure your heart. Build on his greatness and surrender your right to rule. I want you to close your eyes this morning. We've got someone who can come and. Just as we conclude our service, and as always, there is an opportunity for you to receive prayer. There's a prayer team who are already to pray for any and all prayer needs. And as I said before, we come to worship God, but we come to encourage one another. And there's something so encouraging about being able to stand together in prayer. So if you've not...